0: Well, man, I, whether you are here this morning, I'm glad to see all of you here. I, I have to say this morning, I, I was coming to church and I was wondering, boy, how, how many people will brave the, the elements, right? Because we're Californians and we, you know, we don't know what to do when this wet stuff falls from the sky, but I'm certainly glad that you're here. So whether you're here with us or whether you're hunkering down at home this morning online, uh, we're glad that you're here to celebrate with us. Today we're in week three of our Advent series, can, can you believe, I mean Christmas is just a couple weeks away now. Can you feel it? Some of you feel it and it's a good feeling. Some of you just woke up and went, ah, right? But man, we're, we're getting close and that's what Advent is all about, It's preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And, and w- what's amazing is we're looking this year, we've called our sermon series The Gift of Christmas. And the reason that we've done that is because when Jesus came, he brought with him some amazing gifts. He received some gifts, but he certainly gave us some incredible gifts. In week one, we opened up the gift of God's presence. And we talked about the fact that God didn't just send someone else to take care of things. He didn't just send all the angels down to wipe out all the, the bad stuff and to make everything good. He came himself and he sacrificed himself, his presence. God's presence in the form of a baby came to earth to walk where we walk, to feel what we feel, and to give His life so that we could have hope. And that presence, that presence is huge. And, and we talked about how we want to experience God's presence this Christmas, but not only that, but how we can be present with the people around us and share that gift of God's presence and to really focus on being with our Savior this Christmas. In week two, we looked, that was last week, we looked at the gift of peace and how we could learn from Jesus how to live at peace with God, how we could live to, with peace with ourselves, and how we can live in peace with others. And if you missed one of those, I, I encourage you to go back and to, to take a look at those. And today, we're going to look at the gift of God's power. And, um, and, and, We've been doing this thing, and hopefully you got your box. Um, if you didn't get a box already, um, they're in the bags in the, uh, in the lobby out there, and I, I encourage you to get one. In fact, somebody stole mine, I just noticed. So Curtis or somebody, if you can hunt down my box, because we'll need it at the end of the sermon. So, um, but uh, that would be great. So, or someone could just grab me one off the table. So, um, but today, we're gonna take a look at the gift of God's power. And I know for me, like I said, when I think of God's power, I think about, man, what God could do to me. I mean, how many of you have ever had those moments where you know you did something wrong and you just felt like at any moment God could just, you know, I don't know, send down the proverbial lightning bolt and get you? You ever felt that way, like God's power was just there? And some of you, that's kind of your norm, right? You're feeling constantly like, oh man, God God at any moment could just strike me down, I know people who won't walk into this building because they for some reason think that God's presence is contained inside this building, which it's not, and they think if they walk in here that that there's gonna be big trouble. But the reality is, is that God's power is there, not for our punishment, but for our protection. It's to give us real life. I know you're coming this way, so thank you, Jimmy. All right, thanks, bud. And so, God's power is there to protect us. And so, this morning, we want to open up that gift of God's power. I mean, power is an incredible thing. And this morning, we just want to open up that gift. Now, it reminds me um, of a story. When when I was a kid, my my dad um, worked in a development business. And me and my brothers, we used to love to go to work with my dad. And I used to especially love to go when they were grading out all of the land where they were going to build a lot of houses, and so we would go there, and we would run around the construction sites, and we'd get into all kinds of mischief, and one Friday when we were there with my dad, um, all of the guys came in, and, and we used to love watching the big earth movers, and bulldozers, and all that stuff, as it would move, um, move all the land around, and it's, it's kind of crazy, it's huge. Yeah, these big, gigantic bulldozers, one Friday we came in. And all of them are lined up at the end of the day, and all the guys went home on Friday. And so all of the big equipment was just, you know, resting until, until the next Monday. So me and my brother, we decided we were going to climb all over these things. Right? And so we, we jumped up in the cab. We got into the cab, which we shouldn't have done anyways. We jumped in the cab of a D10 bulldozer. And we're goofing around and there's all kinds of cool stuff and you know, now they have all these cool joysticks. It looks like a video game in there or whatever. And we're running around, we're playing, we're, we're goofing around in the cabinet saying and all of a sudden, from somewhere up high, a key fell down. Now, if you hand a key to a 10 and 12 year old boy, what do you think they're gonna do? We start looking around for the ignition, right? So we found it, and we put the key in, and we turned the ignition, and luckily, just a bunch of lights came on. But we were like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? So there's lights going on, and we, you know, we're like, oh, this... but then the one that lit up and caught our attention was this big button. It just, it says start. <laughs> so what do you think we did? Yeah. So we hit this button, and all of a sudden, 700 horsepower, And an 80-ton bulldozer came to life. And you've got a 10- and 12-year-old boy sitting in the cab. Yeah. Now, luckily, we had no idea what it took to actually make that thing move. Praise Jesus, right? (laughs) And it kind of reminds me of the Christmas story and the fact that when the power that didn't just move dirt but actually created dirt The power that formed the solar system, that that entire power came in the form of a tiny child. And, And the Christmas story is absolutely filled with awesome power, the power of God to do anything. And I think very often when we come to Christmas, we like the silent night and the holy night and the quiet stuff and the calmness of Christmas, which I love. But there is power in Christmas. And oftentimes we don't even know the power that's sitting right in front of us. The the gods of this world can't measure up at all. Uh, In in fact, uh, the gods of the world are the gods that we can create in our mind. Um, They they don't measure up to to the power of God or of Jesus at all. In fact, it's kind of like my favorite um, Avengers clip. You, You might remember this one. If you caught that or maybe you just remember it, but I love that scene because here's the Loki character and he's like, I'm a god, right? And then the Hulk just pummels him. <laughs> and if you caught the last little line there, I love it because he says, puny God. And every God of this world is puny in comparison to the God who created everything. Jesus is in a league all by himself. And so this morning, we want to take a look at the power that came with that infant in that manger. And and so um, the first thing let's talk about is the nature of his power. What's the nature of God's power? 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this concerning the coming of Jesus, right? He said this, he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That that baby would be a mighty God. And in that phrase, mighty God, there's two words that make up that little phrase, mighty God. The first is the word for God in Hebrew, El. And and that word literally means a mighty power that can only be found in deity. Right? A mighty power. But then the second word is this word, Gabor, in in Hebrew. Everybody say Gabor. Just making sure you're awake this morning. Gabor is this idea of a mighty champion, the, the mightiest of all warriors. So you have mighty God, mighty warrior. And, and that's what is, Jesus has described that in this verse, that he's the mighty God, the mighty warrior. So he is the mighty, mighty God. There is nothing that can stand up to him. In other words, Jesus is set apart from all other powers, any other deity, and, and he has the power that is far superior to any other. In in 1 John 1, 3, we read this. It says, through him, this is talking about Jesus, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. if, If you let your head think about that statement for just a minute, this is so huge. That through him, that being Jesus, all things were made. So how many of the things that were made? Yeah, you guys know the routine now, right? All. And then it says nothing was made that has been made without him. Right? Think about that. Nothing exists. Nothing was made except for the fact that he made it. So there's nothing out there, nothing you can look at, nothing you can see. There's none of us. There's nothing that it's absolute nothingness without Jesus. That is power. And I don't think we can even begin to imagine what that looks like. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 19, it describes it this way. It's a little longer version of what we read in John. It says this, the son, right, the son that was born, Jesus, born in a manger. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him Right, so audience participation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything, He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Do you know what that means about that little teeny baby lying in a manger? All of the power of God dwelled in that little baby. And these verses tell us that Jesus had all power, the power over all creation. Jesus was the one that created all things and he did it out of nothing. He is the creator and the sustainer of all creation, but his creation is not confined just to earth or what we can see. His creation extends into everything. I mean, it says right there in that verse, all the things that we can see and all the things we can't even see Everything in heaven and on earth, all of that's been created by him. And then there's this one little spot that we almost just fly past, it says, that he created things invisible or or invisible, whether thrones, okay, that's earthly thrones, or powers. think, Think about that for just a moment. He created the powers. I mean, how powerful do you have to be to create the powers? So there's no power that he hasn't already created. So there's nothing like him. In 1 Peter 3.22 it says that Jesus is in heaven right now sitting at the right hand of God with the angels and he's ruling over the authorities and the powers and they're all submitting to him. That every power in the universe is submitting to Jesus's authority. He has power and authority over the angels, over the spirits, over heaven, over earth. He has all authority in all places. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 is part of what we call the Great Commission. And Right at the beginning of the Great Commission, I love what Jesus says. He comes to his disciples and he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I I mean, again, just let your head wrap around that for a minute. All of the authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus. There is nothing that can happen without Jesus saying, okay. He is that powerful. And Jesus' incredible power was revealed in the way that he arrived here on earth, in his miraculous, powerful birth. It, the Christmas story that we often read, we often read Luke 2, but I want to back it up to Luke chapter 1 when Jesus first finds out that she's going to have a baby. Because this interaction is pretty incredible. And, and I know sometimes we read it, but, we, but we, there's a lot we don't see as we're reading through this story. And, and so the angel Gabriel, which by the way, there's only two angels in all of the Bible who we actually know their names, right? Gabriel, who is the chief of all the angels, and Michael, who's the warrior, right? And so the chief of all the angels, Gabriel, he shows up, okay? In other words, this is a big deal, right? This isn't just your average run of the mill, like send the angels down to do something. This is like God sends his right hand person, right? His right hand angel. He says, go down and talk to, and and what does he tell Mary? He says, Mary, here's the thing, you are highly favored, you're gonna have a baby, which is a bit of a problem in that culture and for Mary. Right, because she's, she's engaged, but she's not married yet, and what will everybody think? But what I love about Mary is Mary doesn't doubt it at all. She, she doesn't doubt whether or not this is possible. She just asks how, right? Because this is going to impact her life. Like, what is going to happen here? And, and, and so it says, that, so Mary asks this question in verse 34 of Luke 1. She says, how will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin, And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to have children um, uh, and unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Would you read verse 37 with me again? Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary goes on, and I, I, this is, I think, one of the bravest statements ever uttered by a human being. After hearing this, Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left there. In other words, Mary says, God, you can have your way in my life. I mean, what what a courageous statement from a teenage girl. Lord, do whatever you want. I'm yours. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being Mary? I mean, she's engaged and she's getting ready because she knows within the year she's probably getting married and she's probably got lots of plans and all kinds of other stuff. But all of a sudden, her life is totally turned upside down. And she says yes to all of this. Can you imagine being Joseph? I mean, in this culture, I mean, you've been betrothed, and your parents went through a big deal to kind of arrange the marriage. You've been saving up, like, for the whole dowry thing. All this stuff's been happening. You've been working. You've probably been building a place for you guys to live. All these things are happening, and you... No, because it's like, I mean, you live in a tiny town. The town of Nazareth was probably only about 100 people. Everybody knows everybody's business in Nazareth. And so you're not going to get away with, oh, yeah, um, she got pregnant and we don't know how. Right? So he, he like Joseph is like, this is going to mess with their lives. So much so that Joseph is like, yeah, I don't think so. And he wants to divorce her, right? Because betrothal was basically equivalent to marriage in those days. But but we know from Scripture they they hadn't been together yet. They hadn't had sex. They're just like, and how is this all going to happen? And that's Mary's question. Like, how is this going to happen? I mean, look back again at verse 35. It says this. The angel told her how it was going to happen. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's how it happened. If everybody ever wants to know, like, how, how, how that whole, like, virgin birth thing happened, well, the Holy Spirit came on her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Now, you and I have no idea what that really means. <laughs> but God did that. So that And it says, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you notice there in verse 35, they use the word power, the power of the Most High. That word power is the word dunamis in the Greek language, which is where we get our word dynamite. So something incredibly powerful from God happened. And then I think it's interesting, because it says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you really interesting word, this word overshadow, right? It means to kind of like, to kind of hover over something so that it casts a shadow. What happens when you cast a shadow? You get an image, right? You get an image that you can't make out everything, it's, it's, but it's, it's the image that gets shadowed over the top of something, right? That's what a shadow is all about. And it's interesting, so the image of God, this, this image is shadowing over Mary, and it's the same word, it's a very similar phrase to what happens all the way back in Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, where it says, when God, it, it's when God created the world, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the, the earth was formless and empty, right? Think about this, empty, like Mary's womb, right? And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you translate the Hebrew back into the Greek and stuff, they have this thing called the Septuagint version that phrase is very, very similar. So almost what happened in creation where God was forming something out of nothing, that's what happened when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and created something amazing. Our Savior. I mean, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered, I, this is where my brain goes all the time, okay? Um, Brenda laughs at me and all the questions that I ask, but have you ever wondered like why, why the virgin birth? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, most of us just assume it, right? We just go, oh, or we doubt it, right? There's a big world out there that kinda doubts that that was reality. Right, they think that's the stuff that myths are made of. There's a lot of people out there that try to discredit the whole idea of the virgin birth. But have you ever thought about like why? Why did God do it that way? I mean, when He created mankind in the beginning, He just you know He just said, "Okay, here's going to be mankind." He formed them out of the ground, and boom, they came to life. I mean, well, God could have done that, right? God could have just gone out into the desert somewhere, made a Jesus, right? and said, okay, Jesus, go to town and tell him you're the Messiah. He could have done that if he wanted to, because he's God. But guess what? That had already been done. He already did that in the beginning. Or he could have just told Mary, hey, Mary, I'm gonna do something special, and there's gonna be this miraculous thing. I mean, why didn't he pick somebody who who was childless? Like, remember all the stories in the Old Testament? Remember, you might remember Sarah, Abraham's wife, right? She was like, you know, like in her like 70s, probably more like 90s by the time that Isaac was born. I mean, how many of you ladies who are even over 50 are even thinking childbirth sounds like any kind of a good idea? Right? But God did that. And and, and then there was Hannah in the Old Testament, the mother of Samuel, and she couldn't conceive, she she was barren, she couldn't have children, and then God did something. And then there was Elizabeth right before this, right? Remember John the Baptist's mother, and it was said, she was barren, it's even in our passage, she couldn't have children, and what God did, God says, oh yeah, but the one who's barren, now I did something, and now she can have children. I mean, why didn't God do that again? I think it's because he already did that. And because... In those cases, Abraham, right, was involved. Hannah's husband was involved. I mean, and, and, and John the Baptist, right, Zechariah, I mean, he was involved, right? They, they still were natural births, right? They still had mom, dad, they, you, know, you know the story, birds and bees, right? Yeah. Anyways. So, why the virgin birth? Because there's nothing else like it. It had never happened before and it will never happen again. There is something absolutely different, special, supernatural, powerful about Jesus that is unlike anything else that's ever happened before or will ever happen again. And that is to set Jesus apart from everything and skeptics will say things like, "Oh, the word in there it means it means like young lady, it doesn't necessarily mean virgin right in in the luke passage and and that's true about that particular word that's used there, but we don't even need that right because it because the whole passage is filled with what tells us that Mary was a virgin when she was born. I mean, look in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 25, it says this. It said, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that literally means before they had sex, right? Before that happened, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that tells you right there, right? That's evidence enough. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and he took Mary home as his wife but did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son. The, The whole story is filled with references that tell us that the virgin birth was real. And there's all these people that are saying like, oh no, this is just a myth. No, this is the power of God at work. And so that is why we believe it. I mean, why did did God again choose the virgin birth? Well some, the theological answer is so that he could be both fully God and fully human. But I think it was just because it had never happened before It will never happen again, and it set Jesus totally apart unlike anything else. And he was fully God, and he was fully man. God could have created it any way he wanted to, but he chose to conceive Jesus in power. And and his life evidenced that power. That's the next thing we're going to quickly just chat about. Like, the evidence of God's power Jesus' teaching evidenced his power in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. Jesus was teaching one day, and when he was done, he says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. It's like you, you see this all throughout the gospels. All these people are like, where did he get all this authority? Well, he's God. Right? I mean, I mean, he, he was born. He was virgin born with the power of God, okay? All of the power of God dwelt in him. That's where he got his authority. And it eked out everywhere in his life, in his teaching, and then it eked out in his miracles. I mean, think about all the miracles. I mean, let's just take a look at one day, one day in the life of Jesus. And I, I love this because um, there was this really amazing day that Jesus had. Um, in, in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 26, it says this, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd of people gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the synagogue rulers, a man named Jairus, came came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, now so this is, all, this is what's amazing. So Jesus is on his way to help a girl that's about to die be healed. But on the way there, Jesus is just walking, it says, and a large crowd followed and passed pressed in around him. So all these people are walking with Jesus, right? This huge crowd. And it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet... Instead of getting better, she grew worse. I mean, this kind of problem would not be easily hidden in that culture, right? Um, But Jesus, and in Jesus' time, this issue would have been more than just a physical problem. It's it's something that even today is taboo to talk about, right? The Jewish law in the book of Leviticus, it says that, hey, that, that while a woman is having her monthly time of period, that, that if she touches anything, that thing will be unclean, okay? If anything touches her, I mean, if she sits down on a chair and then somebody else comes, then that person's unclean. That, I mean, there was all these laws about this, okay? And see, even now you're like, why are we talking about this stuff? It's Christmas, right? <laughs> but, but here's the story, is that this passage goes on to explain that anything that she would touch would be unclean. Which would make her, okay, and she's, this has been her problem for 26 years. This is just an ongoing problem that has not stopped for all this time. And, and, which would have made her a social outcast. Everyone would have known her issue and she would not have been, because of her uncleanliness, she would not have been allowed in the local synagogue, she wouldn't have been allowed into the temple courts, she wouldn't have allowed to bring sacrifice before God, she would have no way to have her sins forgiven, and she was broken. Physically, I mean financially, it says she spent all the money she had on these doctors trying to fix this, and that didn't work. Socially, she's an outcast. Spiritually, she's removed from, from worship, she can't be with God. But on this one day, it says when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Now here's the reality. If she touches Jesus, the God of the universe, right, walking in human form, if she touches Jesus, he would, by law, become unclean. So what was she thinking? Reaching out like that to touch him. I think what she was doing is she was remembering that the prophet Malachi had said this like 400 years prior. She says, but for you who revere my name, this is God speaking, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And that word wings... Okay, the word wings is the same word that's used for the priest's garments, right? The, the priest's robe, okay? Because when it when you walk, it, it kind of, you know, like it, it just kind of moves out like wings, right? And so it says there will be healing in his wings. And so this thing triggered this thing in the lady, and she's looking at Jesus going, he's the one. And so what does she do? She reaches out believing that God's word is true and says, man, I'm gonna just reach out and touch that. And when she does, listen to what it says. It says, immediately, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now listen to this next verse. This is pretty cool. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Isn't that cool? Like this gal's faith says, just touch like the edge of, it's like touch the cup of his pant leg or whatever, right? And she reaches out and she touches and immediately she's healed and Jesus is like, he realizes, okay, some power just went out. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? I mean, isn't that kind of a weird like, statement? Jesus like, who touched me? And the disciples answer in verse 31, they say, you see all the people crowding against you, as the disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and when the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the truth. um, He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In one instance, she goes from suffering to healed, from bondage to freedom, from unclean to clean, from outcast to daughter. You see, Jesus has the power to heal not just physically, but he can make you a son or daughter of the king of kings. He can change your identity, and when he changes your identity, he changes your destiny. And only Jesus has the power to do that. So the story goes on, okay? I mean, this was just so like, this is a passing thing in a day in the life of Jesus. He's on his way from one place to the other, and this whole event happens. And then it says, then, it says, while Jesus was speaking, some of the men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, remember the guy, she says, hey, your daughter is dead. Like, basically, they're like, uh, you took too long. If Jesus only wouldn't have stopped and healed that lady, right? That's kind of like where your brain might go. But ignoring what they said, I love this, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, Just believe. And he, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing, wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why, what is the, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. I mean, think about that. They laughed at Jesus. And after he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kume, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. And she was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to tell anyone or to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. I mean, this is just a day in the life of Jesus. Like power after power after power comes out from him. So who, who does this? Who is this guy? He, he's not just some good teacher. He's not just some wise prophet. He's not some religious figure. No, this, this guy's the almighty God. But the, Jesus didn't come just to show us his power, He didn't just come to say, okay, look, I got all this power. I mean, he came to empower us. And that's the last part we're going to look at really quickly. We have access to this power. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20, it says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. I mean, there is so much in that one passage But it basically is telling us that that same power, that power that created the universe, that power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is available to you and to me. And just as the angel told Mary, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. So if we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead that's available to us, it's alive in our lives through the Holy Spirit, then what's your problem? Sounds kind of rude, right? I would contend that you don't have one. (laughs) We do. We have all kinds of brokenness in our lives. But what is the issue that you need his power for? What's your issue, your struggle? What is broken or maybe even dead in your life? What is the thing that you might think is totally impossible for you? Where is it that you need his power? And, and that's where, you know, over the last couple weeks, we've been taking the little, um, the little parts here, and, and when you get home or in your life group or, you know, at some point, I want to encourage you this week to take the little, uh, the little one here that says power on it. it. Again, if you don't have one of these, go grab a bag. They're in the... Thing. This will all culminate on Christmas Sunday morning. It's going to be a lot of fun. But just take this thing that says power on it. And, and maybe on this, you, you, maybe the, you're going to write on the backside, maybe you're going to write that thing that you think is impossible. Maybe it's a job situation, a relationship situation. Maybe it's a health situation like the one gal. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Whatever it is, write that on here. And then you just slip it in the little box and wait to open that uh, on Christmas. Because God wants to unleash his power in our lives. The greatest news of all is that God's power, when Jesus came, he made that power available to us. He wants to do the unimaginable in your life and in your family He wants to accomplish the impossible in your life. He wants to do the impossible in our church. He wants us to experience his power at work in us. There's no problem that's too hard. There's no situation that's too complex. There's no hurt that's too deep. There's no sin that's so unforgivable that the power of this mighty God can't break through and change everything in your life. So the question this morning is this, do you believe that Jesus is still the mighty God today? Amen? So I was thinking about this this week and kind of just to wrap up with this. There's this phrase, nothing is impossible with God. I mean, think about the thing right now in your life where you think, man, that thing just seems so impossible. God's word says with God, nothing is impossible. But then, I don't know, I was just reading this week and, and this other phrase came into mind that, that where Jesus, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, think about that for just a moment. Put, you put those two things together. Nothing is impossible with God. No issue, no problem. Nothing is so big that God can't handle it. But then Jesus comes along and he says this to us. He looks at us and he says, hey, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And as I just sat and pondered, I just, I just like meditated on those two verses. And, and, and I started to think about that. Man, nothing is impossible with God. And then Jesus comes along and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And what I realized is this. What it sounds like is, I really need Jesus. Because apart from him, I can do nothing, but with him, nothing is impossible. So folks, I would just encourage you to think about this. You really need Jesus. And that is the whole point of Christmas. Because the very thing that you needed the most, God delivered. The power to overcome anything in your life, God made available to you in Jesus. But without him, without him nothing is possible. Too often I think we're like kids, sitting in the seat of a bulldozer sitting on enough power to move the world. But we don't know how to access it. So let me just suggest that you need to get really close to the power source. And how do we do that? Well, you know, we're coming to an end of the year, and I know this year I've been reading through the Bible with a group of guys, and every time I do, it's just amazing the things that you learn. You can read it over and over and over again and still keep learning more and more and other stuff that's new. And so I just want to encourage you in this next year, right, take the time, find some folks, read through God's word, get close to the power source of Jesus. Because without him, you can't do anything. But with him, everything is possible. And maybe today, you're like that woman and you simply need to reach out and touch Jesus. Or maybe like the Father, you just need to believe. So I'm going to ask our our elders to come forward, and if their spouses are with them, to come on up and just sit up front. And if you want to talk more, maybe you've got an impossible in your life, and you need someone to come alongside and to pray for you. Uh, Whatever that is, man, I want to encourage you to come and pray with these folks, or or you can head back to one of the, one of the corners there, and, and there will be people um, that will come and pray with you. Uh, because what we want you to know more than anything is this: that so when Jesus came, he brought the power of God with him, and nothing is impossible for him. In fact, he gave his life because our sin was the thing that seemed impossible. There was no way we could we could save ourselves from the sinfulness of our lives. And so that was the reason Jesus came, to give his life on our behalf. And so that's why every week we celebrate communion. And, and we remember that the bread represents Jesus' broken body. So if you've got that, let's let's take that together and remember Jesus' body given for us. And the cup that represents his shed blood. Let's remember that Jesus did the impossible by taking away our sin. So let's take that together. And today I just want to encourage you to take some time this morning and reflect on what your impossible might be and realize that there is a Savior who came to take care and make your impossible possible. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Father, Thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. And we pray, Father, that you would, Father, show us how to access that incredible power that you have for us. That, Father, that as we spend time in your word and spend time in prayer, that, Father, you will will show us how you want to change everything in our lives. And, Father, thank you so much that you sent your Son, that you came, to bring us the power of eternal life. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name, amen.